eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. So March kind of sucked time. April might also suck time. But you know what? We're going to get through it together time. Stay safe out there time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a Wednesday afternoon. Probably going to go ahead and drop this podcast on a Wednesday afternoon. Get April started off with a bang. Not just me on this podcast from the uh, Blount County Satellite Office of Govals 24-7 down in Maryville, Tennessee, or as uh, no one around here pronounces it, Maryville, Tennessee. we got Grant Ramey. What's up, Grant? I don't know why everybody's complaining about the quarantine lifestyle. This is really this is really my ideal setup. Yeah, love every minute of it. You know, here, here's the thing, though, Grant. I, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately. You've got, the, uh, you've got two very small kids there. And you're got that really open concept of a house, so uh, there's really no escape, is there? No, but you know I've painted myself into that corner, so I've come to grips with that over the years. <laughs> yeah, we just got we just got a puppy over here, and uh, by the way, I don't think you'll hear any background noise, but if you do, um, because we, we're all dealing with different circumstances here. My wife also is working from home, and her office is directly across the hall from mine. We've got both doors shut, but she's on conference calls and things all day long, so hopefully you don't hear any uh, background noise there um but but you might uh i hope you don't but you might and the other thing is my voice is still uh, just not great uh, it never has been great but you know had this bronchitis thing for weeks now and it's just it sucks but uh it's not uh, coronavirus so uh, i am counting my lucky stars for that at least i don't think it is grant um we have been needing to do this podcast <coughs> excuse me we've been needing to do this podcast for a while because we didn't really know exactly when we could put a bow on the Tennessee basketball season because, you know, things happened. Then, then a player, Jalen Johnson, left afterwards, and they added another player. Had to make sure there wasn't going to be any any deals with the um, with the players coming back with eligibility. Uh, but the NCAA said that's not going to be the case, obviously. So now I think we can finally put a bow on this Tennessee basketball season and uh, we saw all of it Uh, I was there for almost all of it in person you were there I'm pretty sure for just about even more than that pretty much all of it in person Uh, what 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 did did we make of that season It, it was a lot of a lot of things changed a lot with the Lamonte Turner situation. And and I was bullish on this team going into the season more than most people were. I had no idea that Turner's shoulder had deteriorated at that level, or I wouldn't have said that. Um, but uh, there were some adjustments after that. Uh, Vescovi comes in. Bowden struggles through a lot of the season. Uh, Fulkerson emerges as a big-time player. Uh, what, what do you make of that kind of sandwich season overall? Do you remember the third season of The Office when they thought the office was going to get shut down and uh, Kelly Kapoor asked Pam Beasley to sign her employee, what was it, handbook? or Yes, uh, yes. Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not a yearbook, but you know what I'm talking about. Like the HR book or whatever it is? Right, and uh, Pam just wrote basically her name and then Kelly Kapoor got offended and Pam went back and wrote something else and she wrote, what a, strange, what a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> 
and Kelly really laughed at that comment for some reason. That's uh, that's that's the comment that comes to mind when I think of uh, the twenty what was it twenty nineteen twenty Tennessee basketball season because I mean everybody knew going in all the success they'd had the year before the two years before really the back to back success and kind of everybody looking forward to uh, the recruiting class in twenty. Uh, 2020 and the, and the 2021 season, everything that goes into that, it was like it was a bridge year, and it was almost like it was going to be like that from the start. And that's the way it played out. Um, There's frustrations along the way. There's ups. There's downs. There's really some really bright spots, um, some really crazy spots, and some really, really low spots. And uh, at the end of the day, it was a frustrating probably more than anything basketball team because you're wondering what could have been. Uh, had they won some games here or there, if some certain breaks had gone other ways. Uh, but in the end, ultimately, I mean, Tennessee is in the same boat that every other single college basketball program is in at the end of the season in March when everything just gets canceled. So, uh, I, you know, I, I hate it for Jordan Bowden and Lamonte Turner that they had to be the seniors on this team that was kind of stuck in the middle uh, and guys that are kind of, I don't know, almost forgotten about. Uh, I hate it for Lamonte that, his season, you know, came and went as quickly as it did and came to what, it, you know, what happened, happened. Uh, the decision he had to make for his future uh, and for Bowden struggling as much as he did and, and, and not shooting the ball well. But, but still, despite that, he was a pretty good defensive player, probably their most consistent defensive guard and a guy that still scored at a pretty high level uh, despite shooting as poorly as he's ever shot, I'm sure, in his basketball career. So I uh, hate it for those two guys, but uh, what, a, what a crazy uh, what a long, strange trip it was for them to go from the success they've had over the course of their careers to struggling a little bit on the way out. But, you know, the, that book's closed and you turn chapter, you open the new book or whatever next season is, and it's an exciting one. Yeah, and we're definitely going to do that in the second segment of this episode. We're going to start looking forward now that we know more <clears throat> Excuse me, about what the Tennessee roster will look like um, you know, going forward next season. Now I think we have at least a, you know, maybe not a crystal clear picture, but a but a pretty darn pretty darn crystal clear picture of what things will look like next season with the, in terms of the personnel. Um, but I, I've thought about this too because I don't know whether it's worse, uh, you know, kind of the year Lamonte Turner had or, or the year that Jordan Bowden had because on Turner's end, you know, you're you're going through your 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 trying to figure out what's going on with your shoulder you finally you know before you figure out what it is you've been trying to shoot left-handed until the coaches told you to not do that anymore uh just unbelievably tough that kid is so I've wondered whether it's worse to go through what Turner did and have it kind of lopped off there suddenly or if it's worse to go what Bowden did and kind of have that slow bleed throughout most of the season where you know, you're just not shooting the way you want to. You're struggling to kind of become, uh, you know, kind of an alpha that your team needs you to be. Uh, you can't you're, – you're doing everything the right way, but your shot just will not fall. It's doing everything but going through the rim. Uh, it's just – I don't know which one would be more frustrating. Um, but I think it might be Bowden, as weird as that sounds. Because, you know, if Bowden – if he hadn't had a senior year at all, like I, th- I think the difference, because I think in in time people will still have love for the hometown kid and what he did, and, and he was a part of so many big things at Tennessee. But it's almost like his long term reputation would have been better if he hadn't had a senior season. Whereas Lamonte Turner, I don't think he had to go through that. No, I mean I I think it's still more frustrating for if if I'm in their shoes, if I'm Lamonte, because I want to go out on my own terms, even if it is. Uh, struggling, even if it is in a slump. And, and to JB's credit, over the last, I don't know, two, three weeks, he I, I don't better. know how well he shot the ball, but he scored at a pretty high rate. Um, and he kept playing the brand of defense that, that he had kind of become known for all season. Uh, and credit to him for not letting his offense affect his defense when it very very much could have taken any other player uh, out of their game. I mean, I understand what you're saying from the, from the Bowden's perspective, kind of being the guy on this team, uh, especially when Lamonte, I mean, the preseason, everything was about Lamonte and Jordan Bowden. Mm-hmm. And obviously for good reasons, those are your two seniors, those are your two holdovers from the past and, and the guys that are trying to carry on uh, the kind of the culture that this program had built. Uh, for me, it's more frustrating for Lamonte because even when he was, you know, he couldn't shoot the ball either. I mean, he was he was shooting at a, a worse clip, I guess, than Jordan Bowden was the first half of the season, first 11 games of the season. 
but he's still a really good assist man. He he changed his game. I mean, he had what fourteen assists and, and no turnovers against Murray State. I think that was the second game of the season. I think he had twelve against Chattanooga. I think he had eleven in his uh, maybe in his last game, if I'm not mistaken, against Jacksonville State or something around there. He, pretty he, high he number. Had, he had a high number in that game. I know that. Yeah, he he turned himself into a really good assist man, a, a facilitating guy when he'd been such an aggressive look for his shot score over his career. So I, I would be more frustrated about being sidelined and not being able to do anything about it, at least with Jordan Bowden. You're able to control a little bit, at least with the way you play on the floor, even if shots aren't falling, uh, how you can try to affect the game from there. But either way, for both guys, frustrating in their own rights and very different ways, and, and, and it's, it sucks for them, to be honest. Yeah, and I still think in the long run, I think both of them, especially given the hindsight, you know, given the perspective that a couple years of history maybe can do for you when you go back and look at things, I still think they'll be remembered in the long run as being huge parts of Tennessee basketball's rebirth. I think that they both played such huge parts in that. I mean, and, you know, Turner hit so many big shots in big spots and was kind of an alpha for that team for a while. And then you had uh, Bowden just, you know, kind of being that guy under the radar. He'd pop up and have some big games, but he played great defense all the time. He was a reliable guy. You wish he'd scored more because he could have the, he had the ability to do that. Um, but he's still – I think both of those guys in the long run will be remembered for, for a lot more good than bad, and I, and I hope that they are because they should be. Um, but but there were also some things this season that, you know, were positive stories. You know, I, I think that it's weird because we're going to talk more um, about Vescovi in a second because Santiago Vescovi, what he did, I think just should not be overlooked how difficult it was what he did. But down the end of the, the stretch there, the stretch run, it started to become more and more about the year of John Fulkerson, and I think that kind of overshadowed what Vescovi was doing at first. But but just the way that Fulkerson finally, finally became at, at least mostly like the player that Rick Barnes thought he could be, I mean, we kind of have to tip the cap to Fulkerson and that staff for for kind of insisting that this could happen and then making it happen, don't we? Yeah, and, and back to your point about JB and, and Lamonte, I think for sure people are going to – the sting of this – 1920 season I think that's going to wear off pretty quickly when people turn their attention to next year and I think what's going to stand out is the career work that those two guys did and how they helped get this program back on the map I mean Lamonte from day one of the Rick Barnes era but but yeah and I think the same goes for the guys you mentioned um, in terms of this 1920 season it's frustrating watching it play out if you're a Tennessee basketball fan you guys sit there and watch 31 games of it and, and try not to pull your hair out uh, but going forward, that 1920 season, as, as bad as it was at times, it forced a guy like John Fulkerson to go from, in Destin, he scored 18 points against VCU, and Tennessee won that game on that Lamonte Turner corner three at the buzzer. And in the postgame press conference, Fulke was sitting there next to Barnes saying, uh, I know my role on this team. I'm not going to look for my shot first. And, and Barnes cut him off and said, well, if, if that's – what you think your role on this team is you're wrong. You don't understand it. You need to be a go-to scorer. Uh, and, and that was a career high 18 for Fulke against VCU. And from there between November and uh, going to Rupp in March, he reset his career high scoring five different times. It went from 18 to 22 to 25 uh, to 27, if I'm not mistaken, 27 yeah. at Kentucky. Uh, so for him to become that guy that, that could – play the minutes he played night in and night out, get banged around, pushed around, beat on in the post as much as he did uh, to be the leading rebounder on this team and, and to score the way he did be the leading scorer in SEC play uh, and tied with Bowden for the season leading scoring. Uh, it's huge for his future because you look at the 2021 roster, suddenly he has a ton of help around him. It's a really deep roster. Now you would think he can do a lot more because he's he's not going to be the focal point of the opposing team's scouting report as much. Uh, as he was coming down the stretch this season. Uh, but the strides he took, I think that's a prime example. Him and Eve Ponds as well, of frustrating year overall. Uh, but some of these guys took some major steps forward. Yeah, and with Fulkerson, I, I think he can produce almost at the same level next season, even if, you know, regardless of there being maybe more talent around him, because he's still so efficient with what he does. It's not like he's out there going all Kobe and, you know, throwing up 20, 30, 30 you know, shots a game. He's not doing that. That's not – what he does he gets to the line a lot he, he he shoots a lot of times around 10 12 shots a game 
Um, the efficiency is what we can all see on film. Everyone's always known since the first day he got there. You know, Fulky flails around because he's thin and he's just kind of spastic. And so you can tell that he's giving energy all the time because he's he's just, you know, he's all arms and legs and he's jumping into the stands and throwing his body all around the place, drawing fouls. We've all seen that stuff. Um, but, but what we haven't seen is term. I think what gets lost sometimes is just the efficiency that he does what he does with. And we heard coaches throughout the year talk about not just how opposing coaches, not just how uh, hard he played, but how efficient he was. You know, you you heard um, you know Texas A and M coach uh, Buzz Williams go in depth on just how efficient Fulkerson was. And then late in the season, I heard an interview with Auburn coach, former Vols coach Bruce Pearl. And he, I don't know the metrics he was using, but he talked about the sort of this this system, the metrics they have. They break down the stuff, and that when John Fulkerson catches the ball, he becomes the most efficient center in college basketball in terms of making good things happen. Either you know, just the way he finishes it or gets it to someone else for an assist. Just after he touches the ball, he becomes the most efficient five man in college basketball. So I, I think that when you look at next season and what they have around him, you know, they might not be like, hey, you know, Folky, we need you to go out there and score 20 tonight. But I still think he can go out there and do it at times because I think he has the confidence to do it now. I think he can expand his game a little bit. But it's not like he's ever been a high-volume shooter because he's just not a selfish guy. No, I mean, you can, you can go back and, I mean, talking about efficiency, he shot 61.2% from the field uh, this season. If, if you go back in Tennessee's – you know, record books that puts him, I think, fourth on the list. Uh, and the guys in front of him are Bernard King uh, and, and uh, Reggie Johnson, I believe, and, and Dell Ellis, guys like that. I Good mean, you're in that kind of company. That's uh, that's elite, elite Tennessee basketball company uh, in terms of efficiency. And, and yeah, it's he's got to add a lot to his game. I think over the off season, I think he's got to add some strength, uh, put some put some weight on his frame, uh, work on his balance a little bit more. Uh, as as flaily as as much as he flails around and, and flops around, I think that helps him sometimes. Uh, but adding a little bit of balance, I think that could do a lot for him. Uh, he's going to have to do, develop his offhand a little bit uh, with all these lefties on the on the roster. He's going to have to be able to go right and score right. But yeah, I mean, with the efficiencies he's he's proven this past year with so much or so little help around him uh, to what he could do. Uh, moving forward with the amount of help he should have uh, on next season's roster and the way he's shown that he can uh, pass out of the double team and make the right read and, and get the ball where it needs to go to find open shots for his teammates if he's not the one uh, that's driving and trying to score. Uh, I think it's only going to get better for him from here. And what about just the way his confidence grew, Grant? I know that you know you you probably uh, – y'all, y'all are both from Kingsport, so I'm sure you know some of the same people, right? I mean, it's not like it's New York City. Um, but but you so you know this kid pretty well, and you know that he. It looked to me like he kind of grew comfortable. He's always been comfortable in his own skin, but it, it, it's like he kind of felt more comfortable now. Like he he doesn't mind people knowing that he's goofy. He'll open his mouth. He'll talk a little bit. It seems like he's now kind of embracing this spotlight of being this kind of quirky guy. And I think he's. I think that's helping his game because I think he feels more confident that. Um, it, it's kind of like people know really who he is now and they love him. And I think that makes him play even better. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he is who he is off the floor. He loves to hijack media sessions and just talk about the most random things you could ever imagine, whatever he sees in front of him. Um, Squirrel, but squirrel. yeah, on the floor. Yeah, right. Exactly. On the floor. I think he fully embraced kind of knowing that he had to help carry this team. He knew as well, obviously as anybody, uh, that Jordan Bowden was struggling to shoot from outside. He he knew as well as anybody. He didn't have a ton of help in the post. There wasn't a lot of guys that that you can throw the ball down there and expect them to do something with it. Uh, he you know obviously Olivier Camois, Euros Plasic, those guys you know couldn't really stay on the floor consistently give you anything. So he knew um, this Tennessee team was kind of going to go as far as he could take it, uh, and I think he took it basically as far as he could. He could go with some of the performances he had down the stretch, and yeah, he he embraced that going from that guy that thought his role was to not look for his shot first to fully kind of understanding you have to do that if this Tennessee team is going to reach whatever potential uh, it has because they needed somebody down low that they could throw the ball to and back to the basket, go score it or drive 
uh, a short drive and score or kind of step out to 15 feet or whatever and, and extend that post a little bit, spread the floor out a little bit. He had to do a little bit of everything, and, and he was able to kind of grow into that, and I think it's going to be a huge benefit for him next year uh, and for the guys around him next year that he's a completely different player. He's that guy that, that Barnes talked about over and over and over and over over the last four years saying, we need Fulke, we need Fulke, he can give us more. Well, he finally showed that, and if he can keep doing that, that's a, that's a huge development. And I think before we move on, because we got a lot of other guys we got to talk about, but I think this was kind of the year of Fulke, so we need to mention this. I think there were a couple – What's amazing to me is there were a couple of major turning points in the season itself, because going into this season, I, I don't think Fulkers, Fulkerson still understood quite what he needed to be for this team, and, and and he was having a hard time kind of embracing that role. And there were a couple of moments. I think that first game down there at the Emerald Coast Classic when they lost to Florida State there in that close game, and he only took two shots. Then the next day, he he goes up there and scores seventeen, shoots seven of ten when they beat VCU, and 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 Barnes talked about how he and Fulkerson had to have that conversation about, listen, man, you're not just a role player. Do you understand that? That was a big one. And then I think probably you could maybe argue their worst performance of the year. They go down to Georgia, get it handed to them. I think around the mid middle point of January, January fifteenth, maybe, and he he only takes two shots in that game, and they get pounded on the road, and and Barnes kind of has it out with him and says, "Are you going to be a leader on this team or not? Because I'm tired. I'm putting all this effort into you, and you're not you're not doing what you should do. You're not being who you should be. You're being so unselfish that it's actually selfish." And after that point, um, I think the entire way the rest of the season, he only scored in in. Um, in single figures maybe twice, once against Auburn and then once against Mississippi State. Other than that, he was putting up huge performances all the time. And and I think that's interesting to me is that how quickly he embraced this role once Barnes finally got hammered into his head. Yeah, and I think that's kind of in a nutshell uh, for a lot of these guys, kind of the growing pains that this season was. And and you just kind of had to grit your teeth and kind of watch it unfold because yeah, there were going to be nights where Fulke got off two shots, three shots, whatever, uh, got pushed around, was ineffective, maybe had a couple fouls early, uh, and, and couldn't do anything from there. And, and you just kind of, I mean, you didn't really have any other options. So you had to roll with those guys as, as thin as this roster was. And that's a prime example of, uh, the season's probably not what you want it to be as a whole, but there are a lot of individual success stories where, uh, you know, maybe this time next year you're really thankful for the 1920 season because of Fulke or an Eve Pons or, you know, you mentioned Vescovi earlier, or Josiah Jordan James, having to grow up in such a hurry, having to be kind of expedited in their timeline and, and kind of force the issue with a lot of these guys. Uh, there's nowhere to hide uh, this season when the roster is as thin as it was. So uh, that should be a, a pretty big benefit for kind of this group as a whole moving forward. And before we go to break here, we do need to mention, you know, because we, we discussed this earlier, just what Santiago Vescovi did this season. And I think that Rick Barnes did a pretty good job of, of bringing it to the fore, you know, bringing it to the forefront all the time and saying, listen, don't take for granted what this kid is doing. Because this is a kid who is from Uruguay. He goes to the NBA Global Academy in Mexico. Then he goes to the NBA Global Academy in Australia. Then they decide that he's going to go ahead and enroll early. So he goes from Australia back home to Uruguay for a couple of weeks, shows up uh, just, at, I believe, after Christmas, uh, and then by a week later after he arrives on campus, in the middle of the season, the first SEC game is the first game of his career. He's been in the United States for one week, exactly one week, goes out there and drops 18 points, hits six three-pointers, plays 32 minutes, and Tennessee's lost to LSU. And that's you know that, that kind of showed you – sort of a snapshot of what it was going to be for a lot of the season because he played more than 30 minutes a game. And and this is a kid who uh, showed up not in the ideal shape uh, to play point guard for Rick Barnes, which is no knock on him because playing point guard for Rick Barnes is is a challenge. He rides you. He, he wants you to play at a certain pace. Vescovi's not the fastest kid in the world, so he's not necessarily a hand-and-glove fit for Barnes at the point guard position but he's such a good player that he found a way to play through it. And, and he was a liability defensively at times. There's no question about that. Um, but he did get about 1.4 steals per game, I think, and he did some decent things there. But just the way that he was able to show up 
out of absolutely nowhere. And he was supposed to be the lowest rated signee in Tennessee's 2020 class. He was supposed to be the the most average player of this group. And he shows up and he puts up 10.7 points, 3.3 rebounds, 3.7 assists per game. Shoots about 37% from the field and from three. Just what he did throwing into the mix like this, I mean, at his age, that's incredible. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, I think remarkable is a word that, that Rick Barnes used over and over when he when he talked about Santi. And yeah, I mean, the rub is the turnovers. I think he had nine of them against LSU, and, and they, were, they were a problem for the first, you know, three or four games of his career before he started cutting them down a little bit. And the defense, uh, but I think that's stuff that Tennessee feels like an off season uh, for this kid. He ne- he d- obviously didn't have an off season under his belt. He showed up one day, he practiced uh, for a few days during the week, and he was in the starting lineup a week later, uh, exactly a week after arriving against LSU, uh, and played the 30, 32 minutes, whatever it was you mentioned uh, a second ago. Yeah, it, it's crazy what he did. Uh, start 19 games, the only 19 games he played, shooting at the clip that he shot at. Uh, with the assists that he had, and, and the, the the future is really interesting for him because does he play point guard fast enough uh, for Rick Barnes? Do, I mean, I don't think that's a knock on him. I think it's just that European brand of basketball. Do they play point guard fast enough uh, for Rick Barnes, uh, or does he kind of shift off the ball a little bit more moving forward uh, and try to take advantage of that spot-up shooting ability that he has? It's probably as, as good as anybody on the team, if not the best. Uh, and it seems like the bigger the spot, uh, the bigger the shot he can hit, and he takes advantage of that. It's kind of uncanny the way he showed up and just started hitting big, big shots. If you think about, you know, late at Missouri, uh, and there are some really, really big ones later on in the year uh, that he hit. I think he has to speed up his release a little bit. I think he passed down, uh, passed up on some shots late in the year uh, because his release was kind of slow and didn't feel like he could get it off in time, or at least not comfortably. Uh, so can, can he speed that up or can he speed up at point guard a little bit or does he help them more off the ball? Uh, but, but whatever, whatever happens uh, moving forward, it's going to be, um, it's going to happen much quicker uh, and be, he'll, he's going to be much more productive because he was forced to step in and do so much with so little preparation uh, once Lamonte Turner went down uh, and once uh, Santi got to town. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, you know, this will kind of spin things going forward, but, you know, when, when you look at the kind of player athlete Jordan Bone was, you look at Victor Bailey, the transfer from Oregon, who we'll talk about a little bit more in the next segment, just what kind of, you know, speed, twitch kind of athlete he is. Um, and then you look at Vescovi, it, it's clearly a different level or different kind of athlete. Now, I do think it's interesting to see what Garrett Maidenwald will be able to do with Vescovi, assuming the guys can get back on campus at some point. You know, I mean, that that's that's just going to be an absolute – I think this is going to hurt Vescovi as much as anyone because he really could use more time with Maidenwald to kind of get himself in the shape he needs to be in. Um, and, and we've seen Maidenwald work miracles with some of these guys before. So uh, – I think that that hurts him a little bit, um, but no matter what, he's just the kind of player that you figure out a spot for him on your team. You adjust what you're doing to get him involved because I think he, yeah, I think he does have that kind of talent. Just the way that he sees the floor, uh, the way that that he can hit big shots, um, his confidence that he has. He, he he's never hurried when he's out there. Um, I, I think his future is a really bright one if Tennessee figures out exactly what to do with him. Yeah, I agree. But but that's the kind of the emphasis there is figure out something to do with him. But what he showed uh, in his, his kind of limited time, the, the second half of the season, was that he deserves obviously to be uh, a pretty big-time contributor uh, in this rotation, and, and you figure out a way uh, to get him on the floor and to, and to keep him on the floor as much as you can because you need somebody to, to be able to hit shots the way that he can hit shots. You know what else we need to figure out how to do? We need to figure out how to get to a commercial break here. Well, we got to figure out to uh, get to the – the uh, ads and the products and the the services and the, and all the the products and all the good things uh, that are associated with this podcast. We're going to pay some bills. We're going to get to that. We're going to come back and then we're going to talk about the future for Tennessee basketball, where things are going next season, and why people are talking about this team as a team that could compete for SEC championships, Final Four stuff. All kind. Why are people talking about Tennessee making this big leap to next season? We're going to talk about that when we come back in just one second. Hashtag ad. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads you may or may not have heard just a second ago. As always, you're not uh, contractually, morally, ethically, spiritually obligated in any way, shape, or form to listen to those commercials, but we appreciate the people who do that. Helps us at CBS Sports, helps us at 24-7 Sports, helps us at GoVols 24-7, and who knows, it might even help you. Because we're all sitting around right now, aren't we? We're all looking for things to do. We're all looking for ways to kind of fill this time. Um, and, you know, maybe one of these products and services will help you do that. You never know that. Grant, um, we spent the first segment talking about sort of putting a bow on Tennessee's 2019-20 season basketball-wise. Now we're going to spin this forward and talk a little bit about 2020-21 and where this program is going. And there seems to be this, I don't want to say assumption, but but because that's not the right word, but there's this this safe guess people are making Uh, that Tennessee next season has a chance to go right back to where it's been the past couple of years. Why, in short, do you think people are are insisting that's going to happen or could happen? Can we start by saying how frustrated I am by trying to say the 2020-21 season already? Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I hate it so much. I did not sign up for this. Uh, Why it could happen and why it can happen in terms of kind of picking up where they left off uh, with the success the last couple of years, you, you never know what you're going to get with a freshman. Um, and, and a five-star freshman is a five-star freshman, uh, and everybody has the expectations, uh, and there's always so much hype. Um, and and, and Jaden Springer is an elite basketball player, and Keon Johnson is an elite basketball player, uh, a pair of five-star shooting guards for different reasons. They're elite. Uh, they bring different stuff to the table. Um, but you never know what you're going to get until you get them here, you get them on campus, you get them on the floor, uh, and you see what you got, and you see how they mesh with uh, their new team, their new teammates, how everything works together. Uh, people certainly had different expectations for Josiah Jordan-James uh, this time a year ago, and uh, I think partially that's you know the frustrations with him go back to the injuries and stuff that he had dating back to last October and, and missing some uh, prime practice time where he needed to be on the floor. Um, but you know, as, as many, as much production as this team returns next season, uh, as elite as the signing class is, um, with, with those two five stars and Corey Walker, a highly rated four star, and then a transfer and a power forward and EJ Anasiki, a guy that should help you, uh, in the paint. You just simply don't know what you got until you see it. And I think that's the only hesitation there. I think they're, they're pretty much basically a top 15 team. It feels like consensus kind of in the off-season rankings that people are putting out. And I think that's about right. I think the ceiling, they could be a top-10 team uh, if everything clicks and everything goes right, or they could just be a top-25 team uh, if they struggle a little bit. But th- that, that hesitation is why I say it might not kind of just pick up where it left off. Uh, a reason it could is kind of for the same reasons. There, There's elite talent on the way, and if Jaden Springer clicks uh, and is a one-and-done type talent, like he's billed to be, uh, or Keon Johnson is one of the best two-way guards in college basketball as a freshman, which he has the potential to be uh, because of his athleticism on the offensive end and because of you know kind of what he's known for defensively. And you pair those guys with a VJ Bailey taking off the red shirt and Josiah coming back and Santi coming back uh, and what Tennessee has, you know everybody's basically back in the post uh, that was there last year. Uh, and you add an Anna Siki. So I mean, there, there's a ton of uh, personnel kind of 
combinations you can roll with on this team. Uh, it seems like it's pretty deep. It seems like it's pretty experienced based on who's coming back. Uh, so I think for those reasons, you know, the ceiling could be a top 10 team and kind of picking up where they left off with a uh, playing for an SEC championship throughout the year uh, and being a tough out in a tournament-like setting. Yeah, the, here, here's the, the shortest argument I can make for why Tennessee takes a, a, a leap next season and why people think Tennessee is going to do that. The, the easiest way or, or the shortest way I can put that is this. I think next season's team patches the holes that that the past season's team had. Uh, and what do I mean by that? I think next season's team will give them a lot more options, which gives them a lot more depth, which means a lot fewer guys playing 37, 38 minutes a game. That's going to help Tennessee because you need more bodies to play as quickly as Barnes wants them to play. Um, you know, and, it, and not just offensively, it's defensively. Um, the way that he wants them to really get after people, it's hard to do that when you're playing 35-plus minutes a game. That's one. And number two, which is just as important, I think one of the biggest holes this past te- this, this team had was its complete inability for anyone not named Jordan Bowden or Ticket Gaines to, to really guard people one-on-one and keep them from getting to the rim. This team, just when, when there were smaller, quicker guards who could kind of penetrate and get to the rim, they couldn't stop people off the bounce. Next season, they're bringing in two five-star guards who have really, really fantastic elite athleticism. They're also getting Victor Bailey Jr., uh, you know, active, and I think there's a chance he could maybe even be the starting point guard on next season's team. I, I think as athletic as he is, and he's spending a year learning the system, and, and he'll be able to give them another really elite level athlete to put on the ball to really sort of pressure people the way they want to on defense. They couldn't play defense the way they wanted to this season, which meant they couldn't get out and run, they couldn't get out and transition, and so much of what they do is trying to get out and make you uncomfortable on the other end of the floor. I think that that that's probably the shortest argument I can make for why next season will be different is because maybe I'm wrong about this, but I was watching, you know, when you go back and think about this season, Grant, and you watch things, except for Bowden and Gaines, they really just couldn't keep anybody they, they really couldn't contain people off the dribble. And against Kentucky, you know, Auburn, Arkansas, we saw this time and time again. It was a problem. It was, and it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I was on the phone with uh, Mike Schwartz since he's associate head coach last week, and he kind of mentioned on his own uh, accord when he was kind of looking forward to the, the next season's roster, talking about, you know, you're bringing back probably Eve Pons, the defensive player of the year in the league. Um, you're bringing back a, a 6'6", 200-pound guard and a 215-pound guard and Josiah Jordan-James, who uh, one of his biggest offseason kind of checklist things is becoming a better defender and using that frame uh, and his athletic ability to become an elite defender on the perimeter. Uh, and you're, you're bringing in two five-star guards uh, in Springer and, and Keon who – um, you just kind of hope you can catch up on the defensive end as quickly as possible and turn them into really good uh, defenders. Uh, and I think Keon obviously has the, the potential to be uh, one of the best. And, and I think VJ Bailey, you, you throw him into the mix. He's a guy that wants to play pressure on ball defense uh, at the point. And, and something that uh, Mike mentioned in that conversation with me was this, it feels like kind of when you go through the personnel that this team can be a lot like the 17, 18 team in terms of defense and, and that team, uh, if you go back and look at the numbers, they were really good defensively. All the success they had that season, uh, if you remember, they went from you know pick 13th or whatever in the SEC preseason to winning the the share of the league regular season uh, and a number three seed in the NCAA tournament. All the success they had that year, it started on the defensive end. Yes, uh, they were a tough team to score against then, and creating turnovers and uh, kind of stuff in the paint. And, and the success this team had, even at times this year, uh, the reason they came back and won at Kentucky at Rupp Arena down 17 was because they started filling in on those drives to the bucket and not allowing Kentucky guards to get to the paint. Uh, and they once they started getting stops, the, the offense started flowing the other way. Uh, I think that's one of the things that they look forward to the most with this team is the defensive potential, how good they can be, and matching that with the offensive weapons that you're bringing in uh, and the guys that you're returning and, and how you can kind of play complementary basketball right there. Uh, and get out and run it. VJ Bayless is a guy that wants to run and transition a lot at point guard and play fast to the point where you almost have to tell him to slow down at times. Uh, you can't go that fast in certain areas, uh, which is obviously a good problem to have for a guy like Rick Barnes who wants to coach that kind of point guard. So I think it's going to start with the defensive potential. Uh, and if they can be something like that 17-18 team, 
uh, and match that up with, with the offensive uh, firepower they could have, it could be a fun team to watch for sure. And I think that the, when you talk about Dozai Jordan-James, I, I want to say this. I think that it would be nice for him to just become the star that he should be. But I think the the very the, the lowest level, like the basement for him, is being I think is still pretty high. I think it's kind of like being an X factor on a really good team. I think if you put Josiah Jordan James on the kind of team Tennessee could be next season, I think that's where you could see him really being a factor uh, because he is a really big X factor. He can do a lot of different things. Uh, he's not selfish. He doesn't even though he's got a nice shot. He doesn't feel like he has to score. I think if they become the kind of team I think they can be next season, I think that's when we could really see what kind of player he is and why people at the NBA still think he's a really nice prospect. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, it's, I mean, it starts with getting healthy and a hundred percent healthy. And I think that's what he was later in the year after he missed those four games in February. Uh, and I think there were flashes at times uh, earlier before that, early in the conference season where he it looked like everything kind of started to slow down a little bit for him. Uh, and he was controlling the game. And, I mean, you think about what he did. I think it was the first half against Florida or the second half. I can't remember. He played one good half against Florida and one really good half against Kentucky. Uh, and kind of you put those two halves together. Uh, and that's a really good basketball player. But, I mean, yeah, I would move him to the wing. You, you're going to need somebody on the wing, obviously, with Jalen Johnson being gone. Uh, that that creates another opening kind of more minutes right there for somebody like a Jordan James. And just let him keep shooting the ball. He shot it as well as – uh, really anybody on this team when you look at the percentages uh, for this past season and, and let him focus on becoming a better defender uh, and just kind of limit his focus to his defense, creating his offense and, and kind of doing the, the kind of tried and true way that, that Rick Barnes kind of likes it, you know, defend, rebound, and then worry about your points uh, and just kind of let him get lost in the game because he's obviously going to have a lot more help uh, around him uh, with what they're bringing in and the guys that they're returning. Uh, and if you can kind of simplify what he's focusing on, I think he becomes a really good basketball player. Yeah, and I think he's also, um, you know, I, I think he's now, unless, and Grant, you've probably heard better than I have, but I, I, I think that he's now more comfortable with being a wing. I think he actually kind of sees that might be his future at first. He was really dead set on being a point guard, and I think Tennessee may have been too. But I, I think they're now, I think all sides involved now are more comfortable with him maybe being a wing who can play point guard in a, in a pinch. Would that be accurate? Yeah, and I'm sure he's as aware as anybody else. All you got to do is get to the next level, and that's basically position, positionless basketball. Uh, you can be a point. You can be a wing. You can be whatever. I mean, LeBron James is a almost a point forward uh, with the amount of times he brings up the ball. So, I mean, the, but, but, yeah, I think that he's, he's kind of open to basically whatever this coaching staff wants out of him. Uh, to maximize, you know, his skill set, his talent for this team. Uh, and once he gets to the next level, he can reassess and, and, do, and do whatever he wants. And I think people don't need to take this for granted, too. They're, they're bringing in, at least maybe on paper, the best signing class this program has ever had. And you, you say, what about Ernie and Bernie? Well, they came in two different years. They were one year apart. Uh, I think King came maybe the year after Grunfeld did. So the, 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 those, those guys weren't in the same class. Uh, I think that, that Tennessee – you know, and I guess maybe that depends on what class you want to put Vescovi in, you know, because he, he signed originally with these other guys, but then he plays a year early. But they're bringing in guys who fill roles that are really, really important for this team. They're bringing in two elite five-star guards, one who is just an offensive force um, in, in Springer, and the other one who is a really dynamic two-way player, and Keon Johnson, who is a just a an absolutely outstanding player on both ends of the floor. Uh, and then you bring in a guy like Corey Walker, who uh, at the very least steps in a, as a backup to Pons immediately and, and does a lot of those things, I, I think, pretty well and, and could be kind of maybe not the exactly that kind of player because maybe he maybe he's a different offensive player than that. But I, I think he is a really dynamic, really high upside guy there. And then you're throwing in a guy like um, EJ Anasicki as a grad transfer who can step in and play just about anywhere on the front court and is an elite level rebounder, which is something this team desperately needs. So that, that right there means that you're taking a lot of the pressure off of this trio of kids who I still think have good upsides. And I still think people need to, 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 to understand these guys could be really good players before they leave Tennessee. Um, but I'm talking about uh, Olivier Kumwa uh, and Uros Plavsic and Drew Pember. I think all three of those guys 
have a lot of upside. Maybe now you can give Pember the red shirt that you couldn't give him last year. Uh, and I think you can really see him blossom later in his career as a stretch four, a guy who can play you really kind of stretch a defense that way. He needs to get bigger in the weight room. Um, and come was a guy that, that, that I think Rick Barnes still sees a really high ceiling for if he can do the things Barnes wants him to do. And I also think Plavsic, with everything he went through this season, that was a lot kind of mentally, psychologically to go through. I think I, I, we've watched them practice enough. We didn't see as much this season as we, as we have the past few seasons. But I think both of us have seen them in practice enough to know that Plavsic can play this game. I don't think he's a bad player. But now, when you add a guy like Anasicki into the mix, you don't have to rely on guys like Plasic and, and Pember and Kumwa. If they can help you, they can help you. But now there's less pressure on them to do that, which I think helps this team even more. The, the way it was phrased to me was they can uh, those two specifically, uh, Kumwa and Eurosh, can develop at their own pace. Um, you're not relying on them. Like you said, you're not pressuring them into getting on the floor and producing right away, uh, you can kind of slow it down a little bit and, and try to work it uh, at whatever rate you want to try to work it in at uh, in terms of helping these guys progress. Uh, and I, I think that's that's big for their future. I mean, I think you can learn on the floor, uh, being forced to play uh, if it comes to that. But I think if you're a coach, if you're a player, you'd prefer uh, to be able to move at your own rate and, and, and work and practice the way you need to practice or, you know, whatever uh, to be able to fully take advantage uh, of your situation. I think a guy like EJ Anasiki adding him uh, with his versatility, with the minutes load he'll be able to hold on to, um, with the rebounding ability, what, just kind of what he'll be able to bring this team in general. I think it helps those guys kind of slow down uh, Olivier and you specifically and, and kind of go at their own rate. And Grant, before we step out of here, I do want to mention a guy who we've not mentioned nearly enough in this podcast and a guy who I, I've all, I, I'm kind of – I'm hitching my wagon to this kid. I think he could be a really fun player, and that's Devonte Gaines, Ticket Gaines, uh, the six foot seven. He, he was a freshman this season, six foot seven, southpaw wing. He showed up looking like he was about six seven and eighty four pounds. Uh, he put on a little bit of weight uh, as the year went on, but he needs to keep going in that direction. I think he has offensive talent that he hasn't quite showed yet. But just the way that he plays the game, I absolutely love. And, and I'll be honest with you, there were more things I paid attention to his game with after I got randomly um, – uh, it, was, it was a phone call. I was talking to a couple people that we all talked to during the season. There's a couple guys in the NBA uh, who, who work for NBA teams that I, I talked to about just you know Tennessee players, guys in the SEC, yada, yada, just different stuff. And, and he told me uh, – he sent me a text that said, Gaines, wow. And so I was like, what, what's that all about? And, and so I called him and we talked, and he said that that he watched film of the Tennessee-Alabama game and that he got as excited about Gaines defensively as much as he has any young college wing in a, in a while. And that kind of got my attention because I went, whoa, really? And he said, yes, his hands are some of the best that I've ever seen from a young wing. And, and so you go back and you watch film – this kid is really active. The, the things he does, his hands, he, he throws his body around, plays with a lot of energy. I think he'll develop offensively uh, as his career goes on, and I think it's interesting to see where he'll fit on next season's team because with the minutes, some guys are going to get squeezed. You look at that backcourt, especially you're looking at maybe nine guys for like a six, five, five, six-man rotation there. There's going to be some some hurt feelings there. But uh, I think Gaines is a guy who is going to have a role because I think he does things that this team absolutely is going to need. And I just I think he's the kind of guy that, that can make any team better. Yeah, I think it starts with his mentality. Uh, that dude's not scared of anybody. Um, that, that Alabama game you mentioned specifically, he stepped in the lane there and took a charge. Uh, under the bucket, I swear he probably gave up 100 pounds to the guy that was coming down the lane, uh, one of the Alabama forwards. Uh, and if he yeah Reese he, maybe he planted his heels, what's that? Maybe an Alex Reese, maybe. Right, and he I think Devonte uh, planted his heels on the arc uh, on the on the circle in the lane, and I think he landed in Starkville. It felt like he <laughs> he went that far back uh, on that charge, but I mean just the the length and athleticism he has, what the quick hands that he has. Um, he has the potential to kind of be the next guy up in terms of Eve Pons defensively, um, defensive kind of all SEC defender kind of quality. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a huge kid. Obviously, he's real thin. He looks like Bambi skating across the ice. Uh, he's all arms and legs, um, but he can't add weight. He can add some pounds to his frame uh, and whatever he can do. 
uh, moving forward in that category would obviously just help him a ton. Uh, I think he's got a nice jump shot. Uh, it's a pretty soft jumper. It's just a matter of him getting to that stage where he's going to be shooting a little bit more uh, on the offensive end uh, in this setting. But defensively, uh, the sky's the limit because of the length, the athleticism, all that stuff that he brings to the table. Uh, and I think it starts with the mentality. He's not afraid to go after anybody. Uh, and he earned time on the floor playing time because of that mentality uh, and because of that attacking mindset. Grant, last thing. What what what, what did you, the addition of Anasiki, what did that do for your thoughts about next season and kind of where he fits into things and, and how much – you know what he could do for that team we saw with florida this season we've seen time and time again if you get the right kind of you know versatile kind of big man as a as a transfer um it can really kind of change things for you i know nate sestina didn't have a a ton um he did some good things for kentucky uh, but the guy the year that they had the year before obviously was 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 more um i i guess more more central to what they were doing florida did this year um, it just seems like that that he could be a guy who gives Tennessee something it kind of didn't have before. Yeah, um, I, what, what kind of stood out to me was kind of how it was almost kind of uh, a couple perfect worlds aligning here because obviously EJ, the younger sister of, uh, I mean, sorry, the younger, younger brother of Nikki Anasiki, who won uh, a couple titles with the Lady Vols uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever that was, you know, he grew up, a Tennessee fan uh, watching her he, he dreamed of playing at Tennessee um, and he wasn't a really you know highly sought after prospect at all out of high school he's a division three guy who uh, ended up going to prep school for a year and, and getting a division one opportunity at Sacred Heart uh, but he you know the numbers he put up he played himself into being one of the better transfer forwards on the market uh, this offseason it just so happened that Tennessee had a spot open up Jalen Johnson left they needed they needed a guy that really EJ Anasiki checked all the boxes of the, one of the guys they needed, and, and they went after him and, and pounced on him quickly. And um, just kind of my impression is he makes them a much better basketball team. Uh, they needed a guy, uh, a forward. You know, he's six six, and I, I know people aren't crazy about that. We talked about that on the pod, uh, breaking down his commitment. But at two hundred forty five pounds, that's a body type that you need, even if he is six six, because you look at the rebounding numbers on the offensive end, on the defensive end. He's a guy that's tough to keep off the glass. Uh, he knows how to do it. I mean, averaging a double-double uh, as a junior at Sacred Heart tells you what you need to know. Averaging six, I think it was, offensive rebounds a game, that tells you what you need to know. And, and that's what Tennessee needed. They needed a guy in the post that, that could help spell Fulky a little bit and Pons a little bit so they didn't have to play a ton of minutes uh, and be a guy that can be in between those frontline guys and the Urosh and the Olivier kind of guys that you're bringing off the bench. Uh, and eat up minutes and be a really good rebounder because what this team didn't have last year, Fulke, I think, averaged 6.1 a game rebounds to lead the team. They didn't really have a guy that was going to go up on the glass and get one uh, when you really needed one. So I think he makes them a better team and uh, helps the post out a ton because they needed his kind of body type and they went out and got it. Yeah, look what Keontae Johnson does at Florida rebounding. You know, Grant Williams did what he did at 6'6". Uh, you know, Mayman was like six seven, and what he did. I, I'm not. If you can rebound, you can rebound. Uh, and if you're six six two forty five with a good wingspan, you're you're gonna you're gonna and you're tough. You're gonna be able to get rebounds. That that translates to any level. So I'm not worried about that um, at all. You know, I I think he's gonna be. Uh, I don't think Tennessee needs him to to be a star like he was at Sacred Heart, where he was kind of the main man. And I think he's okay with that. Uh, I think he's a guy, that whole family, man, that, that whole family, they're just hard workers, Nikki, OD, him, all of them. They are the, I think there's seven of them uh, from, a, from a, a family of Nigerian immigrants who worked hard to get to this country, work hard after they got to this country, you know, parents working two, three jobs. This is just a blue collar, hard working family. And, and I think this kid's going to be an extension of that. I think he's going to bring a nice mentality. And I think he fits in mentality wise um, exactly with what Tennessee wants to do. I think they're kind of hand in glove there. Uh, Grant, so, so for next season, let, this will be the final thought. What, what do you, where do you think Tennessee kind of should be? Cause I think it's probably, I'm okay with people putting them in that kind of 12 to 15 range going into the season. I don't think that's disrespectful. I think that's sort of respectful actually of what they could be. I think their upside is higher than that. Um, but for me, it's kind of hard to say preseason top 10 because there's still stuff they got to go prove. Yeah. Um, 15, the 15 range that, that a lot of people had felt right to me trying to break down this roster early on, uh, um, they go to Wisconsin in November, I think, uh, November 11th or kind of somewhere early November range. 
so that'll be a tough test uh, against a team that's kind of following in similar places in these kind of off-season rankings. Um, so I, th- I think if you can, you know, you're, you're going to learn a lot about yourself in that kind of game going to Madison and, and the Coles Center. Um, but I think they could be a top-10 team if they play up to their abilities. I think, that, like I said earlier, they could just be a top-25 team. Uh, but I think kind of, you know, bottom line, the talent's there. It's an NCAA tournament team. It should be an NCAA tournament team. It should be a team that, that fights for an SEC title um, throughout the season, if not anything else, uh, one of the top four seeds in the double bye in the SEC tournament. Um, I think you kind of start from there uh, and see how high you can go and, and what you can do. Uh, but I think right now when you try to break it down, you know, a year in advance or however many months in advance, um, that's kind of where you, the, the starting line is for me. Top 15, 15-ish range, uh, and go from there. Anything else, man? Anything else that I forgot to ask you? I think we, I mean, we could have talked more about ponds. There's a lot of things we could have talked about, but, you know, is there any kind of huge things that we didn't, that we didn't discuss here? I mean, I mean, lay, lay, lay block or lay knee pads or, or whatever you want to call, um, ponds. He can be a separate podcast, uh, on his own because of the progress he made. I mean, Kansas had the, the player of the year in Adoke and, and, and the defensive player of the year in Garrett, and Tennessee almost went to Kansas and won that game because of Eve Ponds. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll break him out separate. Uh, maybe we'll do it a, the, an entire French podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll learn French, uh, and if nothing else, uh, what we'll do is, we, you know, we're going to do that, Grant. At some point, we're going to do an entire podcast on Ponds because what he, what he he the improvements that he made, uh, but just how much better he could be, and you look at that Kansas game and say, man, where's that guy? Um, you know, and, and, and why the NBA still thinks, you know, why he's still on a lot of boards going forward is because he's just one of the best athletes, probably the best athlete I've ever covered. Uh, just to be honest with you, uh, maybe Justin Gatlin's in his own category, but just as an overall athlete, I'm telling you, man, I, I just don't think I've ever covered a better pure athlete than that guy. We can write out an entire podcast transcript in English, obviously, put it in Google Translate for French, uh, and then just read it, our best French impression, accent, whatever, yeah, for couple, an entire podcast. A couple of hayseeds trying to speak French. You know the French love it when you try to speak their language and you don't do it right. They love that. That's like their favorite thing. So we definitely should. how much the podcast listeners would love it. That'd be fantastic. Thanks, buddy. I'm going to go ahead and uh, step on and get us out of here. But uh, thanks for joining us, man. All right. See you. Guys, that was Grant Ramey. Who, as I'm telling you, I started working when I was 16 years old at a, at a soup restaurant and then got into uh, the journalism business or whatever, 17, 18, when I got to college. And the whole time I've been doing that, that dude right there is the best most consistent reliable co-worker i've ever had and i mean that dude is unbelievable no matter what we ask him to do at go vols 24 7 he does it he does an awesome job with it and just really really happy that he's on our team and uh, i hope that he didn't hear me say that just now thanks for listening guys you can find all of us on social media i'm west rucker 24 7 on twitter grant ramey is grant ramey on twitter patrick brown is p brown 24 7 on twitter and ryan callahan is ryan callahan 24 7 at twitter if you want just tennessee news nothing else no personal stuff uh you can get that at twitter.com slash go 24 7 and facebook.com slash go 24 7 where ramey also does a really nice job running that Facebook page for us. Or if you want to get that delicious East Tennessee Mountain Spring Water right from the source, right from the tap, go to GoVols247.com. Right now, we've got a really good special going on the site. We have 75% off. 75% off of your first year with GoVols247. 75% off of an annual subscription. And, or if you want to go ahead and pay us the full price right now, you get access to CBS All Access for free. That's a $100 annual value in your pocket. $100 in your pocket. And right now we're sitting around here streaming. We're trying to find all this thing to watch. We're watching everything on all the streaming services out there at CBS All Access for free. And you can watch shows that are exclusive to there. You can watch every show in CBS's entire catalog, commercial free. New movies rotate in every month. There's podcasts. There's sports, some archive sports stuff. You'll have live sports when they come back. SEC football, uh, NFL football, Champions League starting next season. All kinds of stuff that you can get on CBS All Access that you get for free if you sign up and pay us at GoVols247. So go do that. And uh, regardless, thanks for listening to this podcast, all of our podcasts, and be safe out there, guys. Take this, take this stuff seriously. Take this social distancing seriously. 
if this sucks, this sucks, it really does. But if we all do our part now, maybe we can get back to uh, regular life as soon as we can. So be safe out there, guys. And uh, anyone who's got this stuff, uh, just take care, man. Thoughts and prayers are with you and hope you get better. See y'all. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.